Colossians 3, 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. This is God's word. I gotta say that uh, it's kind of nice to have a woman who is also married uh, read these verses for us this morning, just for safety reasons. <laughs> One of the parts of my uh, job, and most of you don't see it all, or for a few of you, you see too close for comfort, is marital and premarital counseling. I've been here nearly two and a half years, but I was surprised when I was fresh on the scene to have land in my lap, marital counseling for two separate couples within the first two months I was here. And that's kind of been the trend in some ways going forward. And this morning it is going to be like premarital or marital counseling for the masses. All right, mass, it's going to be like marital carpet bombing counseling. All right, just going to everywhere we go. If only I had my a special little comfy counseling chair, you know, a nice table between us. I could pour you all a tall glass of water mixed with true serum, which I like to do. All right, so, but Holy Spirit, please be our true serum. Let's test that this morning. Before we get too far along, though, I want to mention if you're new with us that we've been going through a book of the Bible. It's called uh, Colossians. It's Paul's letter to this church in a place called Colossae. And we're in the third and final degree of deception that Paul has been addressing. That is, taking a break from God. And of course, when we take a break from God, as I mentioned before, we naturally replace it with other things, often a sort of secret life of, of self-indulgence. To which Paul counters with the antidote of living Christ. How do you combat this deception? You live Christ. After you go home from church, you can live a secret life, can't you? You can live a secret life in your home, specifically in marriage, which we're going to look at this morning, uh, with your kids, which is chapter 3, verses 20, 21. Uh, Where you work, you can be a different person. That's the rest of chapter 3, the end of chapter 3. And finally, where you play, and that gets into chapter 4. And so this is really set up pretty brilliantly by Paul. Because all these are places where we can live these secret lives of self-indulgence, these second lives. And nothing causes a range of emotions quite like a message on marriage. Right? Uh, You have, first of all, with the married folk who are here among us this morning, uh, we look forward to some laughter. Uh, men in particular, I know you're anticipating I'm going to find some way to relate us to primates at some point, whether it's an ape, <laughs> a baboon, some form of simpleton, and we'll get a good chuckle out of that, and hopefully also uh, we'll be open to a little bit, and usually are open to a little bit of conviction, maybe a little bit of growth. Single folk who immediately read these verses this morning and slip into a coma of apathy, they think, oh my gosh about marriage. I knew I should hit the snooze button. <laughs> well, you're here. All right, so there's that emotion. Uh, so we also have maybe, maybe you're separated, divorced, maybe your marriage is on the rocks. We have that crew here this morning. And you may, especially if you're still married and you're in, 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 or maybe with your ex, you might take note of every principle mentioned this morning. 
and make draconian comparisons to your spouse or, or your ex the point where in your mind they start to become like the twin of Charlie Sheen or identical to Judge Judy, right, on the other hand. Right? They're just, that, that is who they are now in your mind. And so you could do that. Or there's uh, any all of the above who might just get cheese that the Bible once again sounds archaic, out of date, out of touch. So we have laughter, openness, apathy, vindictiveness, stubborn dismissiveness. That's a pretty broad range, huh? Not bad. So that's what we got with marriage. But I want to take a different approach this morning, which at least at first bypasses such emotions for a higher principle and a grander cause. How many people here, how many persons here have trusted Christ, but you struggle to verbally share the good news about Christ with other people? Right, I'll, I'll, how about this? Why don't we all we'll close our eyes? I'll turn my back and ask the question again. All right, how many people here have trusted Christ but struggled to verbally share the good news of Christ with other people? All right, go ahead. All right, I was going to assume that was a lot of people. It's good then that we're talking about marriage. The sermon in a nutshell this morning, if you remember nothing else, remember this. Your marriage represents your best opportunity to provide others a theater to watch the gospel. In our day and age, we've tried, and you may have tried if you know Christ, to get friends to come with you, watch films like Passion of the Christ, like the Nativity, to get a little glimpse of Jesus, or you might encourage them to join, a, join you at the theater to watch a, a Jesus Christ Superstar. But the Bible says there is a superior theater for an onlooking world, to see a clear, vivid explanation of the gospel live, at work, in the flesh. And that's marriage. In fact, the only other dramatic display in life of the gospel commanded in Scripture is actually baptism, which you heard uh, Jen allude to earlier in announcements. And that's an, baptism is an opportunity to show others that in trusting your life to Christ, you have buried your old way of Life with Christ. And so you go underwater. And then you are raised to life just as Christ was raised from dead. You come out of the water. It's a dramatic display of the Gospel. So I want to encourage you, if you have trusted your life to Christ but haven't followed through with God's call to publicly display the Gospel through baptism, please contact me. At least consider it for May 20th. Alright, that's my side plug. Baptism, however, is a one-time theater, whereas marriage is a lifelong fixture on Broadway. Right? I mean, it's like cats. It is never-ending. <laughs> it will be there for as long as you live. An ongoing, ever-present theater. So I want to examine two ideas a little bit further this morning as we get into this. Give you an idea where we're going. First, living Christ in marriage displays the gospel. But also, living the gospel in marriage brings personal freedom. Let's do this. All right. Living Christ in marriage, first of all, displays the gospel. It is the theater for the gospel. So, first, we need to ask what is the gospel? And I'll give you a one verse answer. We're going to break it down here. John. 
3.16 says it this way, for God so loved the world. We're going to stop there first. So we have in this play, this theater, two parties, God and the world. God is perfect. He is uh, glorious. He is also completely just, righteous, fair. He creates man to have this relationship with him. But man, woman alike, uh, rebel. They decide to go their own way. So that comes back to God being just, though. So the, the relationship just can't be restored when justice has to be done to make it right. And so we're at an impasse. That's when we get to the next part. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And so we have in this theater a leading act self-sacrificial love god sends his son co-eternal a co-god co-creator of the universe he gives him to be a human he gives him to suffer he gives him to take on the just punishment for sin namely every act every deed of rebellion of all mankind God gives His Son to take on that on the cross. Suffering the just wrath of God. Just punishment for sin. But there's one more part to this play. That whoever believes, trusts in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the other part of this theater is this submissive response from man, from woman. Ongoing trust. And Jesus as God of the universe and as the one who can forever forgive that rebellion. God has designed marriage to flesh out this message on stage in real life. So we read in Colossians this morning. You can follow it along pretty well. The parallel to this theater. Husbands and wives represent the two parties Husbands are to lead with self-sacrificial love. Wives are to respond with submissive trust. And this is how it goes. So we see here in Colossians. Now, Paul gives his cliff cliff note versions here in Colossians, but he sketches this out more fully in terms of what it looks like in the book of Ephesians. All right, so we're going to look at that as well. Ephesians chapter 5, you can flip Backwards a little bit, two books over if you want. Ephesians 5, keep one finger here in Colossians as a one-finger bookmark. Always like that. All right, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, of course, in Colossians, Paul stops there. But here he elaborates. He goes on to say, uh, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is Himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So this submissive trust is rooted in who Christ is in relation to His church. Right, it's rooted there. Go on. Verse 25. Husbands, love your Wives. Now see, Paul stops there in Colossians, right? But here in Ephesians, he elaborates. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. 
this leading with self-sacrificial love is rooted in Christ's death on the cross for the church. And that part's often missed, right? Uh, This is the verse of Scripture you often don't want read at your wedding, you don't want to hear about, but we often miss this part of it in Ephesians 5, which is husbands are to love like Jesus loved the church. And how does Paul describe how Jesus loved the church? Gave himself up for her on the cross. Remember, just punishment for sin, wrath of God for all the sin of mankind. That's the sacrifice Jesus makes. That's the sacrifice, the kind of sacrifice God calls husbands to make for their wives. So before you say, well, you know, uh, gosh, you, husbands, you have it easy according to the Bible. You get to do all the leading. Well, let me tell you, um, this kind of leading is where I have to come before God and say, did you love your wife like I died for the church? Oh my gosh, that is scary. <laughs> all right. But we're called to, men are called to lead by sacrificing every self-preference, every self-inclination for the good of his wife. As you keep reading, a question will begin to form in your mind. Read this with me, verse 25 and onwards. Vicarius gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, any such things. Now, the question that arises or should arise in our mind is who is Paul talking about here? Husband, wife? Or Jesus in the church? And the answer is yes. That's the whole point. It's both. It is intertwined. That's why I can say confidently that there is no theater, no human relationship like this one for sharing the gospel to an onlooking and unbelieving world. It's so intertwined. Marriage and the gospel. For instance, read a little further with me down in verses uh, 31 through 32. Uh, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. That's from Genesis. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Now, wait a minute. How is Genesis chapter 1, you know, two becoming one flesh, talking about Christ and the church, which is like thousands of years later, Could it be that this is God's design for marriage? That one day it would be a theater to display the love of the Savior for all of mankind. That thousands of years ahead of time, this would be a design to display this love. I would suggest it is. So, should you say, oh hey, look, I'm not down with this. Alright, this is neither the pattern we have in our marriage or what we wish for in our marriage, man. This is not the marriage I want. I want you know, something built on compromise, equal roles, everything's 50-50, you know, it's progressive, it's modern. You are not just saying something regarding what you believe about marriage. You're saying something regarding what you believe about the Gospel. You know, again, you're not just saying something regarding what you believe about marriage, but you're saying something what you believe about the gospel. Now, displaying this gospel to an onlooking world, I want to tell you, it can look different. 
You can display the gospel, first of all, by example. Right? As described here, that as a husband, you're leading your, your wife, your family, through self-sacrificial love. Right? And, and wives who are trusting God enough to submit in that. Now, I'm going to talk more about that later. So you can actually do it, show the world just through living this out. But you can also show it through forgiveness. Just as there are failures at marriage and living out these roles, so the church fails to submit to and trust Christ right, in our relationship with Him. And that's the great thing about the Gospel, though. There's forgiveness. And that's true in marriage as well. Katie and I uh, excel at this part. It's the uh, screwing up and the forgiveness. <laughs> really good at that. And... Uh, you know, it's one of our number one qualities in marriage. We both have stubborn streaks. All right, in fact, uh, this week our theater included a squabble in front of our community group over where to sit during a board game. Come on. But I can honestly tell you that we have had couples approach us about marriage and ultimately Jesus because they've seen how God has helped us be quick to forgive. Quick to forgive each other. In fact, uh, that's what I absolutely adore. One of the things I absolutely adore about Katie is she does not hold on to unforgiveness for long at all. I mean, she is quick to ask for and to extend forgiveness. The other way, so you have by example through forgiveness, but you can also display the gospel in your marriage through patience. For some, you extend the patience of the gospel in your marriage because God loved, God died. But he waits for many to relent, to put down their pride, their self-sufficiency, and to trust him through Christ. Similarly, some of you are called in your marriage to lead through self-sacrificial love, but there's not that corresponding sort of submissive trust, that corresponding teamwork. Or you're responding with that team, with that submissive trust, but there's no self-sacrificial leadership. And so you're patient. So you wait as God waits. My parents have some good friends in San Diego where they live named Barbara and Jack. My mom knows Barbara through something called Bible Study Fellowship. And through this organization of, of women meeting and men meeting, Barbara was growing like a weed in Christ. And she started even to lead a BSF or Bible Study Fellowship group. And she loved these women she got to lead and be, and be involved with. And she looked forward to the thrill of leading them again next year. They kind of take a break in the summers. And she lived for this. I mean, it was an adrenaline rush, a thrill for her. Before that next year came, though, her husband, Jack, who does not trust Christ, who is not a self-sacrificial leader, asked her to fulfill with him a lifelong dream a lifelong dream of his, which was to spend a year sailing around the world. It may sound nice to many of us, but this was not something she wanted to do. Not something she was looking forward to with her husband. And in addition, she had these women who are on the verge of trusting Christ. Why would I go and, and do this for a year and But she read this verse. Wives, submit to your husbands. So she trusted God. She trusted His Word by uh, submitting to, to her hubby. 
And think about it, a full year, something you don't want to do categorically, something else you're looking forward to, I mean, that, that anticipation, you know that feeling? You're like, ah, I really don't want to do this, and it's coming up, and it's coming up. And Well, five or six months in the trip, her husband works up the nerve to ask her, why? I've got to ask you, Barbara, why did you do this? I mean, I know you didn't want to. Well, why didn't you kind of put up more of a fight? She said, well, you know, in God's Word, I, I feel like part of this marriage thing is I'm supposed to model a relationship between Jesus and the church, and I'm supposed to model that to you. And so I'm just trusting God enough to just to kind of follow you in this. And they went through Ephesians 5, and they looked at that, and eventually, during this trip, during this year, eventually decides during that trip to trust his life to Jesus forever altering the course of their marriage and their lives. How awesome is that? What an encouragement to those of us called to show the patience of the Gospel in our marriage. Now, whatever you do in your marriage, be sure to display that theater sometime. Right? And like, as a church, the reality is, we got to meet sometime and somewhere to display the good news and encourage others with it. So people ask, you know, when and where our church meets. You know this feeling, right? You've got to explain to people, well, it's at the Harkwell Theater. Oh, you don't know where that is. Okay, let me try to explain it. There's Dunkin' Donuts. There's, oh yeah, that place is, that's going out of business. Wait a minute. <laughs> 10 a.m., you explain these things to people. When is your theater? For those who are married, I think a basic question is, when is your theater? Because it's so easy, especially here in Cayman, to be married but live radically separate lives. It's so easy to do that here. Especially as you get older, and, and then you start to have kids. You know, she, well, she has her friends, I have my friends. Yeah, we do things together, but we don't. The question is, though, when do people get to see the theater of the gospel in your lives? Something to think about. I want to say before I move on too much here, I want to have a word to the single friends in the house. Singles! All right, here you are. Now I get it. If you're looking on all this and you you look on at marriage marriage relationships and uh, those with kids, it is easy, almost necessary to bring out the jokes. Right? I mean, you got to live around these people in the church and it is annoying how parents talk about their kids all the time and now, some couples, you know, they're always together doing something. Or you have some couples who, who seem more miserable together than separate. And come on, you've got to make fun of it, right? I mean, one, one famous man once said, marriage is like putting your hand in a bag of snakes hoping to pull out an eel. <laughs> right? But guess what? Leonardo da Vinci, he was single. All right? That's why he threw that one out there. All right? Or what about uh, marriage is just another word for a work permit. Clearly a single expat. <laughs> right? Relate that well. So uh, for those of you who are single, I want to challenge you this morning. Hebrews 13.4, the author of Hebrews says this, let all among you hold marriage in honor. Not some of us, not just our kids, not just our good buddies, not just the people in our, our you know, wedding party, our groomsmen, our bridesmaids, all. The practical application being you 
if, if you mock, if you scorn, if you have that attitude towards your married friends, you're not just tarnishing the couple, you're tarnishing the dramatic witness to the Gospel. So to remember, I want to encourage you, if you're single, honor marriage, if nothing else, for the name of Christ. Find ways to, to learn from marriage, even if you're not married. Uh, dudes, honor and cherish. Single women you know as a brother in Christ. Uh, ladies, respect single men as the sisters in Christ. You should God ever call you to mar- marriage, believe me, the habits you build now are the habits you're going to drag into your marriage. It's not like you say I do and all of a sudden, oh, my life changed and my attitude towards men and women and marriage is changing. It doesn't happen like that. So build those habits now. All right, getting off, getting off course. Now, with all these things, the objection is, well, you know, okay, I'm reading this in Colossians and Ephesians, but those laws, those rules about roles are archaic. They're out of touch. But actually, Paul says something so simply here in Colossians that, that's echoed from Genesis to Jesus to Paul throughout the Bible that these marital roles are fitting in the Lord. Right in verse 18, he says this. Living the Gospel, here's the second part this morning, we'll be briefer on this. Living the Gospel and marriage brings personal freedom. Personal freedom. First, let's talk freedom, then fitting. We all have our ideas about freedom, right? For most of us, at one point or another, that idea about freedom went something like this. Freedom is my autonomous ability to do, to choose whatever I want, whenever I want. Right? At some point, we have thought this. Or maybe you think this now. But without me having to overly scrutinize this, put it under the microscope too much, the validity of this notion of freedom, can we all agree it's foolish? Ultimately, it's foolish. Right? Every autonomous choice has consequences. And those consequences restrict freedom. Potentially. So, certain choices we think are personal always affect others, right? We know that. They start to affect other people in our lives. And, but you might say, well, I don't really care about other people. If that's where you are, that's where you are. Uh, but even if you don't care how you affect others, you know, indulging, in, let's say you just get in, you're in the party scene, you're indulging in drinking, and you're doing what you want, well, that leads to a lot of headaches the next morning. We can all agree with that. Uh, sometimes uh, that leads to missed work, appointments. That might affect your job, not to mention health problems. But that might cause you at some point to maybe slip in your job, maybe lose your job, or at least miss out on that promotion. All of a sudden, your choices are narrowed and your freedoms restricted. Or maybe you, you indulge in just getting it on. Or you want to get it on with somebody. You do a sexual activity with whomever, wherever. Uh, your reputation then begins to spread. And certain people avoid you. You may even get an STD. All right? All right? Something like that. I wanted to use a specific one. Katie encouraged me not to. Gonorrhea. <laughs> Throw that out there. All right? So, I don't know. You can go with any. There's so many. But, it's actually, I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm not very, it's very sad. Uh, either way, either way, what starts to happen? Your choices all of a sudden are 
uh, constraint, and thus freedom is restricted. You see what I'm saying here? You think you can just do what you want, and that's freedom, but that's ultimately not true. Every choice has consequences. Those consequences ultimately restrain freedom. I would suggest rather that the purest form of freedom is living out our design. Living out our fitting. Who are we designed to be? Who God fit us to be? Just as a fish isn't more free because it wants to choose to live outside of the water. All right, that's a problem. There's not freedom in that. Nor is a human being more free because he or she wants to live underwater. We weren't designed that way. We don't have the gills and the fins. All right, similarly, a bullet train may seem fast anywhere. In the air, underwater. But it's only when it's constrained to its rails that it can reach speeds over 250 miles per hour. Similarly, when we live outside of our design, outside of our fit, even if we choose to, we are less free. So, there is a wrong fit. There's a right fit. First, the wrong fit. There's confusion about fit with respect to marriage. I'm going to be very blunt. Uh, there are a lot of, of ladies, uh, women, who want the freedom to take charge, to lead their husband and their family. Increasingly, this has become the case. Uh, the Bible actually says this would happen as a result of man's first sin. Back in Genesis 3.16, it says that a woman would want to take over, the, to take charge. And I don't have time to get into this now in Genesis 3.16. But those statistics, though independent studies, sociological studies, trend towards showing this is primarily because women feel like they have to. they got to do it. Because no one else is. And this has caused increasing frustration among most women, even working women, yes. On the other hand, men who want the freedom to withdraw, to pull away, to do our own thing, most men are all too willing to say, yeah, oh, go ahead, yeah, please lead our kids in prayer, do that. Uh, if you could just uh, choose you know, and attend church, you know, and, I'll go, and I'll go when I can. That's great, you, you do that. Most men are willing to say, um, you know, you take care of the discipline, all right, and when I can, and I'll help out. Uh, you, why don't you go ahead and set the agenda for our, our social life, what we're going to do, and I, you know, I'll just follow suit. Most of us men are all too happy to let that happen. So we want the freedom to kind of withdraw, don't we? In doing such, we've missed the right fit that brings perfect freedom. So what's the right fit? The right fit for a husband is this, to initiate with self-sacrificial leadership. I say this is fit because in Genesis 1, we hear, let them rule over the fish of the sea. And God bless them. God said to them, be fruitful, rule over. So there's this themness in the ruling, but the groundbreaking initiative of that rule lays with the man. I'm going to say this because man was created first. Not better. Make that clear. Not better. One more time. Not better. All right? But just the pioneer. As a pioneer, you're the one to get the brambles and the, get the machete out. Get, you know, take the knocks. The risks. And he makes, Adam does, those first acts of rulership over creation. He's the one who tills and cares for the garden before Eve. He takes initiative to get to work. He, he's the one who names the animals. And he gives her the name Eve. 
It's very simple, right? Because man's like a primate. I told you it was coming, right? Of man, Eve. He's the one who is told to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Initiative. But that leadership is sacrificial. How do we see this? Man's creation. Adam allows God to take something from him to make Eve. A part of himself. So uh, his rib. A part of himself is removed that she might live and prosper. Do you see that? Part of himself is sacrificed for her to live and to prosper. That is true manliness. Man is also fit, is designed to need respect from his wife. I didn't cover this in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5.33, I will now, where Paul ends that passage saying, you know, let every wife be sure to respect her husband. Every man needs respect. Wives, your man doesn't so much require the love, the good questions, the, the thoughtfulness that you need as much as he wants your respect. When all others have doubted him, when people have scorned him, when people have disrespected him, it really doesn't matter, or at least pales in comparison, if when he goes to see his spouse, she respects him. That means everything to a guy. That's man. What's the right fit for a wife? to respond with help. And that's why we see a, a number of women who excel in helping professions, in, in, in charitable opportunities. Think about it. When Jesus went to the cross, who was there? It was all women. And that mama's boy, John. All right, that's it. Genesis 2.18 says, I will make, God says, I will make a helper suitable to man. A helper. Because women we see this, are more attuned relationally. They help. They're more attuned relationally. In fact, we see this in how they're created. Man was created from dust, but woman was created from a man. And there's a parallel there. Man, dust. <laughs> man loved dust. I mean, Mason and I, we were skimboarding in the mud yesterday out in our, you know, our side yard area. We love mud. I mean, women from man. Women created relationally from another person. Unless we think somehow helper, that word is somehow condescending. i got four scriptures right here that call God helper. Call God of the universe helper. So women, you're in good company. But wives, I want to encourage you with this. Please be influential helpers. When God, I say influential, because when God makes Eve, Adam becomes the original John Mayer. All right, busts out his guitar. Oh man, you know, puts on the emo glasses. And busts out with the first song ever created, Strumming Coffee Shop Style. It's a song. It's poetry. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, it doesn't rhyme because this is English. All right? and he didn't, this is not written in English, largely. But he sings when he sees her. In other words, she moves Adam. Please, ladies, move us. Not manipulate us. But move us. Move us towards godliness. You know, for instance, we, know we have a team of, of male elders that are primarily in charge of, of leading our church. Okay? And someone recently inquired, well, how do we get a feminine perspective in there? Good question. 
One really easy, effective way is that my wife easily moves me. All right? Not only does she cross-examine me before and after elder meetings, which she does, <laughs> but she also moves me in the way described by Peter. He says this in 1 Peter 3, 1-4. through 4. I'm just going to read this to you. Likewise, wives, be submissive or subject to your husbands. Get that theme again. So that if some don't obey the word, even if they don't know Christ, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, their lives, in other words. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Listen to this. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of clothing. Don't get me wrong, those things are all nice. I like that in a woman. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with this imperishable beauty, a gentle, a, a quiet kind of Loving spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Let me tell you also, it moves a man. What does she need? She needs love from her husband. Ephesians 5.33. The other part of that, men need respect from their wives. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. A woman needs to be cherished, to be adored, to be shown that she is the most important, that you are thinking about her, that when you're wondering how you're going to fix your boat, you also think about, oh, what is she thinking? And what can I ask her? So I want to challenge us then with a simple question to prayerfully chew on and act upon this morning. Women, how might God want you to grow in respecting your husband with a submissive spirit? And men, how might God want you to grow in loving your wife through self-sacrificial leadership?